We're starting a new series called Seven. We're calling it Seven because we're going to be looking at, over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at seven letters written to seven churches uh, in Revelation 2 and 3. Now, we typically, if you're new here, I want you to understand, you know, maybe you're looking for a church and you're saying, what's this place about? And man, we want you to know what this place is about. That's what we do in our membership class and all that. But one of the things that you need to know is we typically preach through books of the Bible. That's typically how we preach. We do it for a couple of reasons. One is we want you to know the whole counsel of God's Word. We want you to know not just like, okay, this passage, this passage. We want you to know the theme of the book, the whole counsel, all of God's Word. And preaching through books of the Bible ensures that I preach it all. I'm not tempted to skip anything, all right? Not that I necessarily would, but I I have to, which is awesome, all right? So we typically preach through books of the Bible. And when we got together uh, to begin to pray about, me and the campus pastors, uh, to begin to pray about, you know, what, what, what does our preaching schedule need to look like in the near future? We began to pray through that. We began to seek God's face on it, to be honest. And really, he led us to uh, spend the next seven weeks uh, going verse by verse through the first or the second and the third chapter of Revelation, uh, looking at these seven churches. And then uh, we're going to jump into the book of First Timothy, okay? And then we're going to go to First Corinthians. Now, we didn't just like put all the books of the Bible on a board and blind ourse- blindfold ourselves and just throw darts playing like pig t- pin a tail on a donkey to figure out what we we're going to preach. We feel like, man, we sit down and God led us to these books to preach. And so as I began to write them down, I, it, I realized that, man, all of these books deal with what God expects for his church, Okay. And so I really feel like, man, over the next 18 months to two years as we da- download this, that, that, man, we're going to really begin to understand God's heart for his church and what he expects for his church, and it's very important as we're going to begin to find out through this opening salvo of the series, right? And so, you know, I, some of you know that I took some time off this summer. I took a three-month sabbatical. I, I'm supposed to have... Uh, like a three-month extended time off every six or seven years. Uh, I've been here 26 years now, and I'd never taken one, right? I'd never taken advantage of it until this summer. And it's like, man, the Lord was just very clear, man, you, you need to pull back. Our staff, uh, our board, uh, you got to pull back. So I took time off this summer, and it was life-changing. It was absolutely life-changing. I, I learned really soon in my sabbatical that the things that were driving me were driving me into the ground, to be quite honest. And I, I realized really quick that, man, i got to get healthy if I want to last for the long haul. And my goal, to be honest, I've been here 26 years now, next month, and, and I want to be here, man, Lord willing, I'd love to be here another 15, 20 if you'll have me, and finish this thing out. We've been together this long, we might as well finish it out, right? And so, uh, and if I'm going to do that, then I need to be healthy. And so, man, the Lord led me to just get some, to be quite honest with you, intense counseling with a psychologist in Florida who, who, who just all she, all this, their, their practice does is pastors. And so I went for a week, me and Amy, it was life-changing. I'm going to be honest with you. It was life-changing. She helped me to see really quick that and zone uh, and, and just really hone in on the fact that my uh, conditional love that I received as a child had forced this, uh, shaped my mind to believe that winning is everything. And so therefore, my whole definition of success in life was winning. I mean, I, I believed if I don't win, I'm a failure. If I don't win, I'm nothing. And that shapes everything. And that meant my entire life was about winning, and I'm going to win. I don't care what I'm doing. I'm going to win. If I'm playing my kids and cards, by grannies, I'm owning my kids. 
all right? They're going to have to have counseling when they get older because I'm owning them, right? And so uh, that was my whole life. And so when you transition that over to the church and my job, then if winning is everything, then what matters is what defines winning. And so we pastors have this funny way of, of, of metrics, and, and, and there, we, we measure things, and we should measure things. Don't get me wrong. Numbers uh, tell an important story, and we need to look at them. And, but, you know, it, it, as long as the church is growing and the money's good and the baptisms are up and, you know, people are giving, all that kind of stuff. The, when I talk about money good, I'm talking about the, the, the budget's good, people are giving. Then oh, It's good, right? We're winning, right? I mean, that's, that's Charlie Sheen. Even he'd say that's winning, right? I mean, that's winning, but when those things are not good, I ain't good, okay? That was where I'd fallen. And so my, my psychologist helped me to understand really quick that, Pat, if you want to finish this thing strong, then you've got to really go back and you've got to begin to focus on what Jesus expects from you. Because you, got, if you, you can play for the short term or you can play for the long game. What are you going to do, okay? You can play for the long game. I want to stand before Jesus one day and I want to hear him say, well done, Right? That's, that's my goal. And it's silly that the things we, we, we measure success by sometimes are not even on Jesus's game card, scorecard. I mean, he's like, are, are you serious? And so, so I went back, began to really focus on what Jesus expects of the church, and it was life-changing. I mean, man, you can have my family will tell you that it's changed my, my life at home. Uh, I think our staff will tell you here that it's changed. I mean, most days, I mean, every, every now and then I still go PSP. We call it PSP, pre-sabbatical path. But every now and then, but most of the time, man, uh, I mean, uh, you know, everything's changed. That's what I hope happens through this series. What I hope happens is we begin to really see what God expects of his church. And when we begin to see what God expects of his church, his heart for the church, things begin to change, not only within your heart, but things begin to change. And you see God do things in your life that you would never even imagine within our church that you can never even imagine. That's what I hope begins to happen, not just through the seven uh, series, but also as we come up to 1 Timothy and, 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 and 1 Corinthians. And so, so, so we're going to dive into man, uh, to, to this series. And let me give you a little introduction, help you to understand the book of Revelation. I mean, I can't help you to understand the book of Revelation. I just want to give you a, a word or two about how we got this book, all right? Uh, if you'll remember, after Jesus's death and resurrection, he ascended to heaven, Rome became increasingly hostile to his followers, to Christians. They were murdering them, killing them, chasing them out of town. All of the apostles, all of the apostles who were with Jesus, all the disciples were murdered, executed, crucified horribly, except one, and his name was John. He was the disciple that wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote the book of Revelation that we're, 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 we're going to be looking in uh, over the next seven weeks. And so he was the disciple, he, he wrote that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the disciple who was at the cross watching Jesus being crucified. Many of them ran for their life, but he was there. Jesus from the cross looked down at John, and he entrusted his mother into John's care. So this is a very important man. All the disciples were killed except John. It wasn't because they didn't try. Oh, they tried many, many times to kill him, but they couldn't. Legend even has it that he was uh, boiled in a pot of oil. They said, man, we want to kill him. We don't know how. So we, they threw him in a pot of oil and boiled him, and that didn't kill him. This dude won't die, right? Which, which lets you understand if you ever uh, think about, you know, or, or if death scares you and all that stuff, here's what you need to understand. Nothing will take you from this planet until God is through with you, Okay. When God is through with you, nothing's going to keep you on this planet, all right? So, so you have to understand that God was not through with John, all right? And so they didn't know what to do with him. The dude won't die. 
I mean, he won't die. He won't go away, and he won't quit talking about Jesus. Man, they try to kill him. Man, he gets up, picks himself up, dusts himself off. He talks about Jesus. They try to boil him in a pot of oil. Dude gets up. Can you imagine his skin? He's 90-some years old. I mean, man, we, he didn't have being gay like we have today, right, for all these aches and pains. And so this dude won't shut up about Jesus. And they said, well, I don't know what to do with him. We don't want his influence because he's a very influential man when it comes to Christianity, uh, which is, wouldn't it be great if somebody, if, if people would say, I don't know what to do with this guy, man. He won't shut up about Jesus. And uh, I mean, man, and his influence is so strong. We, we, we can't just let him do this. So they, they exiled him to an island prison called Patmos. It's out in the middle of the sea. It's sort of like Alcatraz, except it wasn't as close as, as, as uh, Alcatraz is to San Francisco, but it was basically an uninhabitable rock. They didn't know what to do. We're going to put him out there on this rock. There's nothing out there but birds and fish that swim around. I mean, what kind of influence can he have, right? So they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. He's about 90 years old. It's about 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' ascension into heaven, 50 to 70 years after the church in Ephesus was started. John's 90s. His friends are dead. He's all alone. He has no church. He, he has no Bible on, on this island. He, you know, he has nobody. And Revelation 1 says that all of a sudden he's out there on the Lord's Day, which was Sunday. It's the day of the resurrection of Jesus. Ever since, you know, the, the Jesus come back from the dead on Sunday, uh, Christians began to worship on the day of resurrection. And it doesn't matter if you worship Saturday, Sunday, Monday, but it was the Lord's Day. John's there, and I guarantee you he's worshiping. He's all alone, but he's worshiping. Now, it wasn't one of those kind of things about like, well, I don't have to go to church. I can go out and sit on a rock somewhere. And it wasn't that junk excuse that people give. What it was is it was real. He was alone. He would have preferred to be with his church. He would have loved to have been with his people. That's what he spent his life doing, leading the church, okay? And so, so, but he was alone. He's on a rock, and Jesus, here's a trumpet. He turns around, and there's Jesus. And Jesus gives him a vision. And he wrote that vision down. We have that vision as the book of Revelation. That's what Revelation is all about. Now, in chapters 2 and 3, that vision was seven letters to seven churches. Okay? Now, a lot of, a lot of Revelation is symbolism. We know that, right? For instance, the, the, the number seven is symbolic. You're going to see seven stars, seven angels, seven lampstands. You know, I, the number seven is, uh, is really a symbolic number for completion in the Bible. And so he writes these seven letters to these seven churches. They're all in Asia Minor. The churches are not symbolic. The churches are real churches whose ruins are there today. Okay, and they're in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. They're only about a hundred miles apart, separated. You know, it's in a really small area, and so you got to think: Why did John? Why did Jesus give John letters to these churches? Because there were other churches, and you know, I mean, I really don't know except for I think that these churches, the, he gave them to the seven because these, as a completeness, they represent every church throughout all of history. The things that will be in every church throughout all of history. Because at, at the end of all of them, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? So I believe he wrote this to Life Point Church. He wrote it specifically to these churches, and I think in general to Life Point Church and to every church in our day. Okay? And so the, the very first letter that he writes, as we're going we're gonna to see in, in a moment, was a letter to a church in a city called Ephesus. Paul started this church in Acts 19. He wrote, writes a letter to this church later. It's the book of Ephesians. 
All right, so this is, this is an important city. Let me tell you about Ephesus. Ephesus was in modern-day Turkey uh, there. It's Asia Minor in the day. And, and Ephesus was a large metropolitan city, one of the top three cities in, in the day in that area. It was very wealthy. It had large homes. I mean, that had frescoes and tile floors with, I mean, just de- beautiful decorations, ornate, uh, very opulent homes. It had a, a, uh, a seaport there uh, where p- sailors, and, and ships came in carrying goods from all over the world. Huge seaport with this marble walkway from the port up to the city. It had three major highways that converged in the middle of the city. Sound familiar? 40, 24, 65. They, they all, listen, you get on it and you'll be confused too, right? Any of them. And so, uh, mumbling and bumbling. But uh, uh, it, it, was, it had this huge amphitheater that, that, that they've uncovered 25,000 seats, and there could be as possibly as many as 50,000. This huge auditorium, it was opulent, it was massive, it was a major it city. It was the it city. Google was moving there, not really, but they would have. It was a major it city of the day. Sort of like Nash Vegas. That's, that's, that's what Ephesus was. Major it city, but it was also very morally bankrupt. Very deviant city. Matter of fact, they had this huge temple. One of their claims to fame was this huge temple to the goddess Artemis. And uh, they would worship. People would come from all over the world to see this. It was so massive, so huge, so opulently decorated with marble and the way it shined that it was literally one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And people would come from all over the world to see it and to worship Artemis by having sex with temple prostitutes publicly, okay? It, it was so morally deviant uh, and sexual, hypersexual sin was everywhere that, that one secular historian wrote, not Bible, biblical historian, a secular historian wrote that the morals of the people in Ephesus were like that of dogs. And they were fit to be drowned, that's how bad the city was, right? Now, you've got to think about this city. Very wealthy, very godless. I mean, v- under Roman rule, very godless, very hypersexually sin, uh, I-, I mean, in every area. And surely we Christians should stay away from that, right? No, that's not what God sent Paul not to run from the city, but to run to a very dark world with the light of the gospel. Did you get that? That's where God sent, I mean, he sent people there. I mean, surely, God, you don't want us to move our kids into that kind of city, do you? I mean, God said, yeah, you're, you're the light of the world. I want you to move there and be a light in a dark world. And so Paul goes into Ephesus, and he begins to preach the gospel. And here's what it says. If we go to Acts 19, we know that Paul preached in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, Tyrannus was probably a wealthy benefactor who funded a lecture hall in Ephesus. Sort of like George Jones Museum or the Johnny Cash Museum. It was the Hall of Tyrannus. And so Paul went there. He set up shop in the Hall of Tyrannus, and he spoke the gospel and taught. Every day, the Scripture says, for two years. Every day for two years. I mean, can you imagine 365, seven days a week for two years, he's in there teaching and preaching. Man, I mean, the gospel was preached. And Acts 19 says everyone in Asia, until everyone in Asia heard the word of God. Isn't that amazing? And the church was born and began to rock the city. Now, 
It's coming out, and it's just changing the world. Now, about 50 to 70 years later, John, who is probably one of the overseers of the apostolic ministry of all these seven churches, because he lived there now. He lived in Ephesus before they they exiled him. Uh, He's now, 50 to 70 years later, after this church was started, on a rock island because he won't shut up about Jesus, and God gives him this vision and says, hey, I've got a word. Jesus says, hey, I've got a word in the beginning of this vision for the church in Ephesus for you. Would you tell him this? and write it down and give it to them, okay? And then this is the letter. So let's, let's start reading. I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 2. And in Revelation 2, uh, uh, we're going to uh, just read the first seven verses. Let me read verses 1 through 3, okay? Now, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Who was the angel? We're going to talk about that in a moment. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. What are the seven stars? What is, what, is the, what is the angel? What is the seven stars? Who walks among the seven golden lampstands. You're seeing a little symbolism already. I know your works. This is what he says. He's talking about the church, okay, in Ephesus. The seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. We'll talk about that. So to the angel in Ephesus, and here's what he writes. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. How, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Man, I'm telling you what, when you first start out with this letter, it's awesome. The church in Ephesus start reading the letter, and they're like, yeah, man, I mean, it's awesome. This is from Jesus, and this is what he said about our church. Now, who is this angel? He said, to the angel in the church in Ephesus. Now, in, 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 first, in, in the first chapter in Revelation, Jesus says that the seven stars, he's talking about seven stars, seven angels, seven gold lampstands. He says that the seven stars and the angels, the same thing. The seven stars are the seven angels. And what, who, who are those? Well, I believe he's talking about the pastors in the church, okay? That's the seven angels. Now, I've never been called a, an angel before, all right? I've been called a lot of things, but not an angel. As a matter of fact, I heard about two dudes talking about their family, and one said, my mother-in-law is just an angel. And the other dude said, well, you're lucky. Mine's still alive. And so, um, <laughs> but, you know, now the issue with that, I tell it as, as a joke, not to, not to shape your theology. We don't become angels when we die, okay? Angels are created beings. So when someone dies, don't say, oh, they're a little angel, uh, uh, you know, because they're not. So, uh, uh, but angels are created beings. They're created to do God's work. And believe me, I've never been called, I've been called a lot of things in my life that I won't repeat from here, but I've never been called an angel. But God, basically, it's symbolic of the pastor of the church, what I want you to understand. So God gives a message to the pastor of of the church in Ephesus, and we're going to see that he gives a message to the church in Smyrna, hey, where we get our name, to the church in Pergamum, all these churches, and to the, he says, notice, he says that he holds those, those, those angels, those stars, he holds the pastors in his hand. Folks, I want you to understand how incredibly comforting it is for me to know that God is holding me in his hand. Jesus is holding me in his hand, guiding and protecting, but not just his hand. What does he say? He's holding them in his right hand. He's very specific. Why? Because the right hand is, signifies authority. So what does that mean? That means Jesus is clear from the beginning. These pastors are under my authority. Jesus is the leader of the church, not the pastor. 
That's what he's saying. If it's right, if it's holy, if it's healthy. Jesus is the leader. We're not just going to do what the pastor wants to do to make the pastor look good. That's where you're going to be wood, hay, and stubble and fall. We're going to be under Jesus' authority here at LifePoint. As, as best, as far, I mean, as long as I'm here, we're going to do what Jesus wants us to do and, and, and you know, submit our preferences under the authority of Jesus, all right? That's what we're going to do. That's what he says, all right? And so, so he says, now notice he says that Jesus walks among the seven lampstands. Now, what, 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 why is he calling the church the lampstand? Well, in John's gospel that he writes, this is the revelation, in the gospel, he wrote that, that Jesus is the light of the world, right? Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, commissions us as Christians to be the light of the world. That's what you're seeing a picture of right here in Revelation. Here's what I need you to understand. This is the point that you're going to see through these, through these letters, some of these letters. The primary, the primary role, responsibility, function of the church is to be the light of Christ, reflect the light of Christ to a dark world. That's the primary role, okay? We're not the light. Christ is the light. We reflect the light. That's what a lamp does right? So we are to be reflectors of the light of Christ in a dark world. And Jesus, it's so important that Jesus says, if you don't do that, I will shut your doors. I'll shut your doors. That's how important it is for the church. If you drift from what I'm calling you to do, I'll shut the door of the church. Does that happen? Well, there's 200 churches in America that close their doors every week. 200. Some of you have been a part of one of those. Some of you have got people right now that are in the midst of one of those. You know people who've done that. Listen, if we drift from what God calls us to do, man, we can look like we're healthy and successful. We can do things to make us look like, man, we've got huge this, huge this, and we cannot be doing the right things, and we can be good in the moment, and Jesus will close the doors if we drift from what Jesus has called us to do as a church. That's what we must understand. Notice, he says he's walking among the seven lampstands. He, he's, he's not sitting on the bench, folks. He's not just present in the church, and he's here right now, but he's active. He's examining He's walking through the church. I know what you're doing. I'm looking. Pat, you, life point's never going to do anything I don't know about. You can't get anything by me, not just what you do, but how you do it and why you do it and the motive of the heart it flows from. I know if you're doing it for your glory or for my glory. I know if you're doing it to pad something or if you're doing it so that somebody will come to know you. I know why you're doing it, Pat. I know why life point. I'm watching everything life point does. You can't hide anything from Jesus. And guess what? You are the church. It's the same in your life. He's walking. He's active. He's not just present in your life. He's examining your life. He's examining your life. He's there, and he says, I know what you're doing. I know why you're doing it. I know the heart from where it comes. You can't fool. You can fool me every day, but you cannot fool God for one moment. He knows what you're doing and why you're doing it, right? And that's what this letter's all about. Because on the outside, they are hitting it out of the park. That's what he says here. He, he names some things. And then the first thing he does was he comes in, and he starts praising the church. He commends them, right? Did you notice how he commended them? He says, man, you work your fingers to the bone. He praises them for their faithful service. I know your deeds, your toil. The wording there means that they worked until they were exhausted, right? In other words, here's what, here's what we can infer from what Jesus says about the church. There was a church in Ephesus, and this church, man, was full of people who had, who had surrendered their lives to Jesus, and they got busy. 
They wasn't anybody just sitting on the pew, sitting and soaking. I mean, there were they, 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 they got saved, and man, they served. They were saved to serve. They were, they were redeemed to represent, and, and they were in here, and they were serving, and they were working, and they were giving. I mean, uh, John here, he didn't have to go to the church in Ephesus and beg them to give. He didn't have to beg them to get involved. Hey, we don't have people serving in the children's ministry. Can somebody step up to serve in the children's ministry? Right? I mean, he wasn't begging them to get involved. They were all working their fingers to the bone. They didn't retire from ministry. That's the picture we have of this church in Ephesus, okay? We have this picture that they're working, and they're working so hard, and, you know, hard work is important, and they're working so hard that this literally became the epicenter of Christianity after the fall of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. This became the epicenter, Ephesus. There was a strong church. It was full of people who's working hard, and I commend you for that. Jesus said that to them. He also, uh, you know, he also commended them for their patient endurance. What were they enduring? Well, remember, man, Rome was killing them. It was a godless government. It was, it was, it was, they were polytheistic government. They're, they would say that, man, Caesar's God. I mean, they would, they would worship their leaders. They would worship, you know, multiple gods, and they were against the one true God. It's just like today, right? It's sexy in America to be, uh, to be religious and spiritual as long as, man, you can worship any God and it's cool, but don't say your God's the only God or, or it's not cool. That was, see, that was the deal, right? So they were worshiping godless society who killed them. And they said, in that society, you, you've, got a, you've got John on the island, and God's talking to John on an island whose body is broken from torture. And he says, man, tell them I know their patient endurance, and I commend them for it. They endure. They stand strong. They don't wilt. Folks, listen, we don't understand this in America today, right? Because ain't nobody in America persecuted for their faith. Some of you would say, oh, man, I disagree, Pat, man. People can lose their job. Well, if you would stand before John one day and say, John, it's so hard to be a Christian in America. I mean, I'm so persecuted. Oh, really, John would say, what happened to you? I lost my job. John started looking down his body and said, hmm, wish I'd lost mine. Now, I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm saying, do you stand strong? Folks, nobody's going to chop your head off because you believe in Jesus in America. Nobody's going to burn your house down like they do in a lot of the world today because you believe in America. You're not going to be riding home today and a policeman pull you over and arrest you because you spent time in church. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. It's easy to be a Christian in America. And let me tell you what, many, many, many wilt faster than a speeding ticket. Matter of fact, there's people that joined the church. There's so many people that joined the church five years ago, and I could call the FBI today and say, hey, old John joined the church five years ago. I can't find him. Can you? They'd come back to me in a month and say, I don't have a clue where this dude is. He's Houdini. I can't find him either because he's wilted. That's my point. They didn't wilt under persecution, but nor, neither did they wilt under temptation. That's what we like to say today is, oh, man, it's so hard today. I mean, man, our kids have got so much temptation out there today. And, folks, they don't have more temptation than they've always had. You need to understand, Ephesus, we, you, you, we're so hypersexual, pat porn industry. Yeah, I mean, listen, in Ephesus, they were having sex outside in the temple courts in front of everybody. That's why uh, Hercules, the, the, the historian, secular historian, said they were like dogs. Their morals were like dogs. I mean, folks, listen, the world's been a train wreck since Genesis 3. You understand that? It's always been temptation. But they were standing strong against temptation. 
They were standing strong. Jesus said, man, you're in a godless society that wants to kill you. You're in a godless, immoral, depraved, wicked city that, that's sinful and, 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 and absolutely as far from anything God wants as you can imagine, and you're standing strong. That Jesus said that about the church. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? And then he said, you're doctrinally pure. You're doctrinally pure. How did he say that? He said, because, man, you don't stand for false teaching. And then at the end, he's going to talk about the Nicolaitans who, man, what they did, and I believe the, what, what the best I can tell in studies is they probably came in and they brought a lot of sensuality and they synced it and libertarianism and they said, man, you can, you can follow Jesus, but man, you can sexually live any way you want to live. And, and they bring it in. And he said, you stood strong against them at the end. And so he said, man, you not only stand strong against false teaching, you throw them out of the church. Can you believe that? I mean, oh, that, that's mean, Pat. That's me. No, it's loving. It's loving to the sheep, and it's loving to the... See, that's what church discipline is. They didn't throw them out of the church because they hated them, but they hated. They threw them out of the church because they hated their teaching. They didn't throw them out of the church because they wanted to get rid of them because they wanted to redeem them. They wanted them to wake up, you see. And so the, I'm sure here's what happens. Somebody comes in teaching a false doctrine, and, 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 and they're like, uh, you know, hey, this, that's, that's erroneous. You need to quit that. And then they do it again. And then they take somebody with them, and then they do it again. They take them to church, and they did, bam, you're, they, you can't be here anymore, okay? Because you're, you're, you're absolutely messing up the sheep. They didn't fall for that. You see, when the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons showed up the door, they didn't get confused with all that stuff, right? When, 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 when gender confusion started to happen, they didn't get confused with, well, maybe it's right because I know it's, it's, it feels bad for me to say it, anything's not right because it feels like I'm a bigot or I'm wrong. It's like, no, God says it. Now, I'm sure they said it with love, which we're going to get to in a moment. But they didn't get confused. They knew the word. How do you know false doctrine, folks? Think about it. How do you know false doctrine? You know false doctrine because you know true doctrine. That's how counterfeiters, that, that's how the Secret Service knows what a counterfeit bill is, right? Not because they study counterfeiting, because it changes from Eon to eon, decade to decade, week to week, just like false doctrines, just like false teaching, just like bad philosophies. So what do you do? Man, I hone in and study the real deal. And I can spot a false one, a fake one. That's what they knew. They knew theology. They knew, they knew the Bible because they studied it, obviously. I bet you in the church in Ephesians, in Ephesus, man, when they offered classes, that it wasn't like, man, we're going to offer a class and we're going to have five people. It's like they had literally a waiting list to get into Leviticus probably, right? I mean, you offer a class on Leviticus and people sign up, that's, that's, that's serious business right there. And they were probably having a waiting list for people to get into Leviticus. I mean, man, so, so Jesus tells them, man, tells John, you tell those people down in, 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 in Ephesus, you tell the church there, he says, man, I, I, I'm proud of you. You're, you're, you're doctrinally uh, pure. You're serious about serving. You stand strong in persecution. You don't wilt in temptation. You know the word. Folks, I'm going to tell you, when I read this right here, this is what I pray Jesus says about Life Point Church. I just want you to know that. I'm praying, he says, the people in Life Point Church, I, I, if Jesus were to give you know, somebody a vision of Life Point Church and they delivered it to us that was real, I, I pray he would say, man, those life people at Life Point Church, they serve like nobody's business. I mean, they love the church. 
They're, 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 they, they serve. Man, their children's ministry, they got people helping people in the door. They got people that's working in youth ministry. They got small group leaders. They got people waiting in line to get involved. They serve. They study the word ferociously. I mean, they know the word. They study it in the morning. They study it at church. They study it in small groups and classes. They know the word, man. I, I lose their job. They're going to proclaim the name of Jesus. They don't care if they lose a friend. They're going to get more friends, right? I mean, uh, nobody wants to lose friends, but Jesus is the most important. They, they do all that, and man, they stand strong in temptation. That's my prayer for this church. I pray Jesus would say that about this church. Matter of fact, that's the church. When I read this about Ephesians, I'm like, I want my kids to be a part of this church. I want my kids to grow up in this church. Where's the membership class? Let me sign up and get involved. That's, that's, that's what I want to do, right? But that's not where it ends. So let's go on and read verses 4 through 7 and see how it ends. Here's what it says. It says, but I have this against you. Oh, couldn't it have just stopped there? <laughs> right? Couldn't it have just stopped? Don't tell, me, don't tell me the bad stuff. Just tell me how good I am, right? Don't tell me what I need to improve. Just tell me, just tell me man, how, how good I'm doing. And Jesus says, but I have this against you. And listen, folks, it's a big one. They're doing all this stuff right, but they're doing something badly wrong. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. Remember, repent, and repeat. That's what he says. Remember, repent, and repeat. Do what you did at first. If not, look at what he says. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, what I said a moment ago, which I also hate. Jesus actually said he hates something. We got to zone in on that, right? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, Jesus said to the church, here's what he said. He said, man, you serve faithfully. You endure temptation. You endure persecution. You know the word. Uh, you, you know all this. But one thing I have against you, you have abandoned your first love. You've abandoned your first love, right? I mean, and folks, here's what we can learn from this. It's so easy. And, and don't think this is just to it. Don't think of this as just a group so that we can say, oh, I do. But man, I'm glad everybody, good. you tell them, preacher, right? I mean, this, you, you got to zone in individually on this because he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and you make up the church. And here's what we can learn. It's easy to be ferocious about the word of God. It really is. It's easy to serve until you are exhausted and never retire until the day you die. You're teaching that Sunday school class. We just had a guy who died. We had his funeral. Uh, Benny did his funeral, and he taught a Sunday school class in this church, I think, for 60 years. 60 years that dude taught a Sunday school class in this church until he literally could not teach any longer. He taught that class. And here's what it says. It says, it is, it's easy to be ferocious about the word and serve until you're exhausted. It's easy to resist temptation and do all the right stuff, but you're doing it out of duty, not delight. You're doing it religiously, not out of a relationship. You're doing it out of obligation, not out of affection. It's so easy to do those things. And, and, and Jesus says, 
if you can do all those things. And folks, you can be reading your Bible every day. And, and you, very rarely will you hear a preacher say, oh, you know, uh, all these disciplines. And we'd spend an entire summer when I was on sabbatical going through disciplines that are very important. So don't hear me to say they're not, okay? But you can do all of those things. And if you don't love Jesus, Jesus is going to remove your lampstand. That's serious stuff. You see, in, in, in Judaism, there was always this debate about what's the greatest commandment because it was always about doing. And they wanted to know what's the greatest so that they could make sure they did the greatest. And so in, in Matthew, this teacher of the law, it says, comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Let's go ask Jesus because he's getting all the pub right now. He's the hot rabbi in town. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Oh, and the second, they didn't ask him the second, but he told them, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So love for God here, Jesus says. What's the greatest commandment? Loving God. He didn't say the greatest commandment was knowing all the word, and although he did. All through scripture, it's important that we know the word, and we teach our kids the word, and that we raise our family in the word. He didn't say, well, knowing the word. He didn't say spending all day in prayer uh, was the greatest commandment, although prayer is vital to your spiritual life in scripture. He, he said love is the greatest commandment. Loving God, and loving God is important because until you love God, until you know that God loves you, you can't love yourself or other people. Oh, you can be nice. You can have good old Southern hospitality. And if you're watching online from anywhere in the world, you come here, and I promise you're going to recognize the good old Southern hospitality. You can have that, but it won't be love. So, so, so in 1 Corinthians 13, man, I mean, Paul tells us a couple of things about how important love is. He says this. He makes this statement. I, I want you to think about this statement. Don't just drive by and go, that's a cool quote. Stop, hit the brakes, park there for a moment. Faith, hope, and love remain, these three Love's the greatest. Now think about that for a moment. Faith's required for salvation. You can't be saved without faith. You're saved by, by grace through faith, right? God's grace. God gives you the faith, and you, you have faith that's God-given, and you believe. Faith's required for salvation. Hope, man, who wants to do life without hope? Hope's important. I mean, if we think about those things, we say, i got to have faith to be saved. I want hope. Love, <laughs> obviously many people are like, I can take it or leave it. If I get it, great. Jesus said faith, hope, and love. Love's the greatest. Or Paul did. Listen, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, you can know all the mysteries of the world. That sounds like a lot of people I know, a lot of Bible scholars I know. I want you to be a scholar as far as knowing the Scripture. But you can know all the mysteries of the world. But if you don't have love, you're like a, a clanging cymbal, Paul said. You ever heard a clanging cymbal? Man, how many of you say, I'm going to get my kids some cymbals for Christmas? Just get your kids, clang, 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 walking through the house. Man, how many of you drive down the road on, 20, on, on, on 24 and, uh, or 65 or 40, any of the major intersections? You drive down the road and you're like, I want to relax with this drive is killing me. I want to relax. I'm going to pull up Spotify and just put on some clanging cymbals. Don't do that. You, you will go over the edge then. Driving down the road and all this traffic, hang, hang, hang. Oh, yeah. That's what Paul said you sound like when you know all the mysteries of the Bible. You know, there's a lot of people that know the Word, and they, they know all these verses, and they put them in a gun and shoot them like bullets, and they just leave people wounded with them. That's their goal. That's what Paul said here. You can know all the Word, but if you don't have love, man, you're just wounding people. You're just making people mad like clanging cymbals. 
I mean, that's, that's all you're doing. And so, so love, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you're doing all the right stuff. Tell the Ephesians they're doing, man, they're enduring. They know the word. They're doing all the right stuff. But literally, they don't love me. Their heart's grown cold. Their heart's grown calloused. And if you don't, re- re- if you don't remember the love that you had for me. Do you remember that, man? I remember, man, there's times in my life, and I remember when I wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Man, I just, I love him, and man, he saved me, and I didn't know anything, but all I knew was Jesus, and that's all I needed to talk about. And he, remember that, he said. Remember that. Do you remember when it's like, I, I gotta go to church today, man, can we have church tomorrow night? I mean, can we get together and study the Bible? Do you remember that? And not because I think doing that is going to make God happier with me or love me more. If you did, you wouldn't, you believed wrongly. But because I just love Jesus, I want to love Jesus more. Do you remember that? Remember that. Repent because you're not there, he said. And then repeat. He said, because if you don't do that, if you don't remember, man, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to close the doors of your church. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to snuff out your lampstand. I'm going to be honest, you hear that from Jesus, and that, that sounds a little harsh because they're doing better than most. Think about it. They're doing better than most. I can begin to look at my church and say, oh, man, we got people that are faithful and serving. Man, our people are knowing the word, and look at that church down there. We're doing better than most. Surely God's happy with us. And that was what was wrong with me in my pre-sabbatical days because my standard began to be what was on social media, on, 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 on Facebook, and on, on Insta, InstaLook, and Instagram, you know, and all these, all these Facebook things. And I began, to, I began to look out there and say, oh, surely, if they're doing that, we got to do that. And that's the standard. And, and, and she said, but you got to go back and say, what's Jesus want? And so, so, you know, I mean, surely we're doing better than most. Why would Jesus say, I'm going to close you down? Because, folks, let me tell you something. Christianity without love is Christianity without Christ. And he says, if you want Christianity without Christ, I'll take, I'll, I'll leave the building. And that ain't what you want, believe me. Okay? And so he said, if you don't repent, if you don't remember, you're doing all this stuff, but if you don't remember how much you love Jesus and repent of it and, and repeat what you did. Now, folks, how do we know what to repeat? That's the question because he doesn't tell us here, and it's easy to evaluate attendance. It's easy to evaluate how much money you give. It's, it, we got records of that, right? It's easy to evaluate, I mean, I mean, how many baptisms we have. We got a number, but how do we evaluate your love? I can look at you and say, oh, they're such a loving person because they gave me a sweet Christmas gift. <laughs> That's what somebody's loving is, right? If they give you a good gift or if they're nice to you. I mean, people can do those things and still be jerks on the inside, right? So how do we know love? How do we know what he's talking about? How do you evaluate that? Well, he doesn't tell us here, but he does back in Acts 19. If he said, remember what you were doing, remember and repeat those things, I think you got to go back to Acts 19 where the church was started and begin to see what those things were. I'm not going to read it to you because it's a long passage, a long chapter, but I want you to go read it, and here's what you're going to find when you read it. You're going to find when you read it that, man, the Holy Spirit was all over the place. First and foremost, it was all the Holy Spirit, Okay. I mean, it was all the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was all over the place. Paul, he's teaching in this uh, house of Tyrannus, this, this hall of Tyrannus, and, and people are, are getting the gospel. People are getting saved, and they're just loving Jesus. Man, they don't know all the ins and outs of theology at this point. They can't debate the points of this or the points of that, but I just love Jesus. 
And Paul, man, is healing people. I mean, the Spirit of God is on Paul, and people are being healed because Paul is just walking by. So all the, all the people in town, they, they look at Paul going, this dude, man, he's cool. I'm going, I, they started stealing his handkerchiefs and his apron. And I'm like, I don't know what kind of apron he wore. Did he wear one because he was cooking, or was he? I don't know what he was doing, but, but working, but it says his apron. Look at Acts 19. They were stealing his stuff, throwing it on sick people, and because it was Paul's, they were being healed. Now, all this was the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus, okay? What you need to understand. And it was supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, birthing a church out of a ground that was very pagan and that was, uh, 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 you know, very against God and, 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 and antagonistic toward Christians. And, and so the Holy Spirit's doing this. And so people are being healed, and the whole city's going, oh, my goodness. They're standing with their mouth open. What is going on? And all these Christians are running around just, in, in, I mean, under death penalty, basically, Talking about Jesus, shouting the name of Jesus, right? And, 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 and it says that, that there were silversmiths in town. Now, the silversmiths, they, were, they made, you know, they were people that worked with silver and made little trinkets and all these kind of things, and they made gold. I mean, they made gods out of the silver, and they would fashion gods, and that's how they made bank. I mean, man, they were, their 401K was like out of the roof because they were making all these trinkets and all these travelers that came in from all over the world. They came to worship at the Temple of Artemis and have sex with all the prostitutes, and they came in on ships, and they would buy all these false gods because that was the paganism in the city. And they would buy all these false gods, and the silversmiths were raking in the dough, right? All of a sudden, man, these Christians, it starts with a few, and it starts with a few more, and then it grows, and they won't shut up. Because it says the name of Jesus was being extolled. They wouldn't shut up about Jesus so people were getting saved. And then all of a sudden, man, the silversmiths, all of a sudden, man, their sales start to decline until they're going out of business. It's being shut down. They're going bankrupt. It says they got so angry because they were having to close up business that they, were, they were, went and caused a riot. I read that, and I'm thinking, would it not be awesome, man, if you, you saw on the news, you woke up tomorrow, and you saw on Channel 2, 4, 5, 17, that deja vu had to shut down because all these men were getting saved. And they wasn't going there. And I know men go there for the free lunch buffet. Now, I, I, I don't know that. I don't know that there's a lunch buffet there. I've been told. I've been told that there's a buffet there. Lunch buffet. But wouldn't it be awesome if, if deja vu shut down? Wouldn't it be awesome because people were getting saved? Wouldn't it be awesome if porn website, can you believe this, more money than all football, baseball, basketball combined? I mean, wouldn't it be great if they, hockey, wouldn't it be great if they just like started shutting down websites because men and women were being saved? That, that's exactly what's going on in Ephesus. You're saying that's revival, yeah. That's revival. That's awakening is what it is. That's what's going on. They, it says that in Acts 19 that they were following occultic practices and, and you know, basically it was witchcraft and all this kind of stuff. And they began to bring their witchcraft books and throw them and all the stuff that went in there, throw them in and start burning them, setting them on fire. Some of you my age, you'll remember some of that stuff, right? I mean, man, when in my age, uh, you know, uh, that was when they had all this back masking and music, all that stuff, you remember? And, and man, I remember hearing these preachers talk about that music, and they'd do this right here. They'd talk about that music, and them, that old evil music, and, and that back masking, and they'd have you come, and boy, everybody'd get all convicted and shamed and guilt. They'd come and throw their CDs in a pile, and they'd set them on fire, and man, they'd start burning and hissing, because they said, that's the demons coming out of it. Really, it's the plastic burning, right? And so, so I mean... 
But people would do that, and, you know, the difference is, is, man, you'd do that, and then about a week later, you'd be going, why'd I burn my CD? You know, I got all hopped up, and I burnt my CD, and you want to go buy more CDs? And right now, some of you are going, what's a CD? <laughs> right? You're young and going, what's a CD? And you burn it, and, and this wasn't that. This wasn't that. What this was is, man, they were like, my life has changed. I don't want anything to do with my old practices. I'm getting rid of it. I, I, anything that was a part of my old life, I'm done with it. It hurt. I mean, it changed their business. It changed their life. It changed what they talked about. It changed where they went. That's what's going on in this city, okay? I mean, that's what's going on. It was so cool and so radical that people were looking, and, and they just started trying to emulate it. They, they, it's a business opportunity. They tried to emulate it. So Paul talks about these seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was like a, uh, a Jewish exorcist type dude. And, and, and so they saw Paul and what Paul was doing. And they said, hey, we're going to cast out demons. And, and so they found him a dude that, that was a, qu- a quality candidate in their mind. And they said, hey, in the name of Paul and his God, come out. Right? And the demon looked at him and said, we know Paul and we know Jesus. We don't know who you are. And man, it, that guy jumped on him and whooped the fool out of this dude. And he left naked, it says. All right? Now, here's what's funny. I got a pastor friend of mine. His name is Matt Chandler. He's a good, he's a good friend of mine. And he says, and I love this when he talks about this. I love it. He says, you know, I mean, everybody, if you think about it, I've been in a lot of fights in my day, back in my BC days. Uh, and, and, you know, you always talk about the fight, and nobody ever wants to admit they lost the fight, and it's always subjective. Well, I won that fight, you know, and I won that fight, and, you know, and all this. But here's one thing you can guaranteed say. If you leave naked, you lost, right? <laughs> I mean, you can talk about, boy, I got that right hook in that shattered his teeth. If you leave naked, no pants on, you lost the fight, right? Well, this dude lost the fight, right? I mean, and if you're naked, you lost the fight. And today, praise Jesus, the Ravens are naked right now, right? <laughs> I mean, they flat ain't got no britches on today. We beat their pants plumb off of them. Y'all knew you was going to get it. <laughs> anyway... Here's a couple of things I want you to understand. All this is going on in the city. Really, go read Acts 19. It's like amazing. It's like, wow, Jesus said in Revelation, remember where you came from. Remember. Now, what is he saying? Remember and start doing all those works again? No. Here's what I think he's saying. Why were all that thing happening? Not because you're, 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 now you know the word. Now, man, you're serving. But, man, you love me so much that what it says in Acts 19 that they were gathered together divulging their sins to one another. It didn't say confessing. They were divulging. Why were they divulging their sins? Because they loved God. They loved this person. This person loved God. And they were free to be able to say, I'm struggling. I need help. Man, we need to link arms. And we need to go because this life is hard, and it's just like those Spartans that three, that, that, those 300 Spartans that killed at the Battle of Thermopylae, those 20,000 uh, Persians, because they linked arms. They had no clue how the, the Persians had no clue. How are they doing this? Because they had each other's back. Folks, listen, it, it, you, you can tell if you love Jesus if you want to be with Jesus' people. I'm telling you, you can tell if you love Jesus if you want to be with his people. I'm not saying you got to be here every single time the door is open, okay? Now, don't hear me to uh, uh, allow the crack in the door for you not to be here, but I don't want to, my wife's not here today. My daughter, my, but, but because she's got the flu, she just tested positive for the flu, texted me, she had to go to the doctor this morning. You know, she said, out of love for you, I'm not going to come. 
talking about you. So she's got the flu, right? I mean, there's times when, man, I, listen, let me tell you something. If one of you, if a Titans make it to the Super Bowl, and I promise you, if one of you say, hey, I'll buy a ticket if you go, I ain't here that Sunday. I'm taking off. <laughs> Don't need to pray about it. <laughs> okay. But you know what? I love being with God's people. And when I'm not with God's people, and when I'm away, I love being with God's people. I love being on our campus in Brussels. And, but I miss my people that's God's people. I want to be with my people that's God's people. And if you don't, if you don't want to be with God's people, then I'm telling you, man, your heart's growing cold. That's not my opinion. That's based on God's word. And I don't, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. Do you love being with God's people? They love being with God's people. Listen, we have all kind of classes, man. And matter of fact, you received this today, and, and, and we want you to be involved with God's people. Man, we've got small groups. We've got classes. Basically, the difference is, one, uh, small groups have a real community focus where you're going to do life with those people a lot of times and do things with them. Classes you can too, but it's like teaching you doctrine, theology, all that kind of stuff. I don't care which one, you, but are you in one? And if you're not in one, are you leading one? And if you're not, why are you not? That's just, the, that's the question. Well, you know, I've just got a lot going on. Well, so did John. <laughs> I mean, I'm really not trying to, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to awaken you to say, who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you involved with God's people? Because if you love Jesus, that, remember, remember, repent, repeat. What were they doing? Man, they were divulging. They were involved. Are you? How much do you love Jesus? How involved are you? God's people. Now, here's the other thing. It says that, that the name of Jesus was being extolled. It was being extolled. They wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Smack me in the mouth, I'll tell you about Jesus. Burn, boil me in a pot of oil, I'll get out and I'll tell you about Jesus. They sang about Jesus. They come in and it wasn't like, that's ah, just not me. It's just not me. No, it's about Jesus, to be honest. And that's what the song's about. And so it's about Jesus, and I'm going to sing. They wouldn't shut up. You couldn't keep them out of worship because it was about Jesus. Man, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell my kids about him. I'm going to tell my neighbor. That was what was going on. That's why. Why? Because you talk about what you love. Imagine if I had a job at Nissan or at a school coaching football or at a law office downtown or whatever job you're in, and I worked there for a year, and people sort of thought I was married because I got a wedding ring, but they really didn't know because I never, ever talked about my wife. A year later, somebody said, oh, you know old Pat, he, he, his wife wouldn't like that. Well, really, I didn't know, really know Pat was married. I saw a ring, but he never talks about his wife. Do you think that they would think Pat loves his wife? Pat, I, I don't know if Pat loves Amy or not. I, she's really not important to him. Probably he never talks about her. I mean, you know what I'm saying is true. Now, you know where I'm going. If I can come to your place of work and the people you work with never hear you talk about Jesus, do you literally think they think you love Jesus? No. Do I think you love Jesus? If that happens, probably. I think you were in love with Jesus at one point. I think your heart's probably gotten cold. And I think he who has ears to hear needs to be you. As you listen to Jesus' words, repent. Do you talk about Jesus? Do you sing about Jesus? 
Do you want to be with Jesus' people? These are some things that says, I love Jesus. And see, the, 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 the bottom line for a lot of this stuff the first of the year would be, we want you to be better Christians and better Christians is this checklist of study the Bible more and come to church more and get in a small group more and do, do more, do more, do more, do more, and all that. And look, folks, we want you to be involved, but I, we, we, we just want you to love Jesus, to be quite honest. Because if you love Jesus, we'll have to, we'll have to say, hey, you need, we, we got a waiting list for these classes. You're going to have to hold on. Or we're going to have to say, hey, man, uh, I, I mean, we're talking about your one. We begged you. We, we, we put out there, who's your one? Listen, if, you, if we had a church people that was happening, what was happening in Ephesus, and why was it happening? Well, the Holy Spirit, why was the Holy Spirit so, so just changing the world? It was the Holy Spirit through people who wanted to be with Jesus' people and wouldn't shut up about it. I promise if you would return right here and just talk about Jesus, where do I start? Start talking about him. It's not just always a feeling. I mean, man, when they were being bold in oil, they weren't going, oh, my emotions for Jesus is just out of this world. But they still said, I, I love Jesus, and I'm going to talk about him. It's not always emotional. It's like, I love him. I know what he's done for me. I know who he is, and I want to praise his name. I'm going to sing to him. I'm going to sing about him. That's what I want to do, and I'm going to talk about him. I, you want to love Jesus more? Just start talking about him more. Start talking about him. Talk about him with your kids. Talk about him with your family. Talk about Jesus to your one. As a matter of fact, let, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going, I've told you this, and we're getting the dates, and we're going to have at least four worship nights this year that we ask you to come to, whether it's Wednesday or Sunday. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to fast that day, to not literally eat, if you, if you uh, medically can, to not eat, come together at night and, and, and worship. But it's not just about getting together and singing songs, although that's important. It's about worshiping and getting on our knees and asking God to do amazing things within us in this community. Now, the focus of that, let me tell you, and, and the, the focus of that, and, and then we're going to go, to be quite honest with you, at some point here in the spring, early, in the first half of the year, we're going to do an all-night prayer and Bible, uh, Bible reading thing, okay? And, and the focus of all those things was this. We was thinking, I, I, I first did this and said, man, one day in my quiet time, the Lord, I felt like the Lord said, do the worship nights for prayer and fasting and prayer, and then do the all-night thing, and do it so that people can really get serious about evangelism, and they're one, and, and right now, I'm telling you, that's not what, that's not what we're going to ask you to pray about. I'm not going to tell you not to pray for them, but here's what I want you to do. We're going to get together, we're going to fast, we're going to come together and worship and pray, and we're not going to say, God, save our one, we're going to say, God, break my heart to love you more. Because if you will love God, all those things will happen. We'll have to hold people out the door. Okay? I'm telling you, folks. Listen, we're going to ask you to plead with Jesus to say, God, break my heart for passion. I mean, just set my heart on fire for you. And I promise, we won't have to beg you to read your scriptures, to come to church, to tell people about Jesus. We're going to go inside out, not outside in, because that lasts. And so we're going to ask you to do that because do you love Jesus? If not, he'll remove our lampstand individually and corporately. Here's, I want to close with this, and then, man, I want you to rest in this space for a moment. Paul started this church. Aquila, some, some world heavyweights called Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos ministered in this church. A guy named Timothy was the pastor of this church. John was probably an overseer of this church. And this church no longer exists today. That's an all-star lineup of pastors. You're not going to get any resume of pastors. You're not going to have, you ever been in these churches that's got pictures of their pastors down the hallway, former? Paul, Timothy, John, 
Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos. Church is not there. If that can happen to that church, folks, that haunts me, to be quite honest. So I beg you to love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? I'm not asking you to just do more. I'm asking you to love more. Do you love Jesus? I want you to rest in the space right now. Here's what we're going to do. Travis is going to come out, and he's going to play. And Man, I, I just want you to right now, it, we've already taken up our offering. Your response today is just say, Jesus, help me to love you. If you're a Christian, help me to love you more. It, it emblazon my heart. Set my heart my affections, my emotions on fire for you and your glory. Help me to love you. That's what I want you to do right now. And I literally want you to say, Jesus, has my heart grown callous and cold? Because if it is, I want to repent. Because I don't want you to snuff out my lampstand. I don't want you to, to, to remove me. I don't want you to do that, Jesus. Please help me to love you. I want to re- repent. Remember, repent, and repeat. That's what I want to do, Jesus. We want to give you that space for a moment. So uh, would you bow your head right now? And as Travis is coming out, as Travis... And, and the band play, would you right now just begin, whatever the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart right now, just rest in that space. Maybe you don't know Jesus and the Holy Spirit's awakened the gospel within your heart today. And if so, you can come back and talk to us and we want to talk to you. But if you do, Christian, brother, sister, listen to me. Ask God right now, do you love him? Is your heart cold? Is your heart callous? Help him to inflame your heart with a passion for him and his glory right now that will not be quenched.